Hi guys, my name is Anna Betts. I'm here with my mom, Amy LaRue, and we're busting a myth today about abstinence-only programs and how they don't prevent STDs or um, teen pregnancy. I hope you guys enjoy. Alrighty, so I think we should begin by talking about um, what an abstinence-only education program is. So since about the 1980s, the federal government and um, conservative groups who lobbied then, them believed that the only way to prevent teenagers from having sex was to scare them into believing that um, it was a dangerous activity and it was only safe for adult marriages. So the programs were developed and administered across schools nationwide with the belief that um, scaring kids about sex would be a safer, more effective way to control um, teenage pregnancy and um, as well as the rates of sexually transmitted infections um, that uh, then comprehensive sex education that gave students information um, and knowledge. Um, so basically the programs believed that um, in talking and informing students about sex um, would make it so, you know, they were sexually curious and um, they would want to um, go go have sex. Um, and so this begins the myth that not talking about sex uh, prevents sex from happening. Uh, I'm a Generation Z. I was born in the year 2000. I went to public school in California my whole life. And on the contrary, uh, my mom, Amy, who's joining us today um, to talk about this topic, went to a private Christian school in Arizona for half of her education and a public high school later um, after that. And she is a Gen X, if I'm correct. Gen X. Gen X. So, Amy, did you receive abstinence-only education, and if so, what was your experience? Yeah, so um, I did, actually, and I, I received it twice, both in junior high at the Christian school and then later again at the public high school. And in both instances, they separated the girls from the boys. So I was with a group of girls, and we had a female... PE teacher who basically um, didn't talk about sex, didn't talk about the mechanics of sex or the biology of sex or anything like that. She basically uh, talked about how uh, sex was an act that was for married people only and that um, we might be tempted or have certain feelings around sexuality, but the we should ignore those feelings or talk to our parents about those feelings, which of course is something that a junior high kid never wanted to do, right? Talk to your parents about sex. And that was it. There were, the, the whole notion of education or program to inform, that never occurred to us. Really, it was kind of like this this moment where all the girls sat in the gym and giggled while the PE teacher used the word sex but didn't explain it, um, talked about in, in vague terms um, how girls might have feelings, didn't explain what those feelings were, and that we should really only just talk to our parents and stay away from sex. That's super interesting. Um, so you also said that you had um, sex education during high school. Um, what was that like? Yeah. So um, again, they separated the girls from the boys and 
it was something that was handled in PE, right, rather than the classroom. We sat in the gym. And the the abstinence-only sex education that I got in high school was a little more informative in that they talked about the female menstrual cycle hmm. and how uh, a female could become pregnant at a certain period of, of her menstrual cycle. But they never talked about um, sex, the, the act of sex, or, uh, again, like the mechanics of it. And so, so was this in Arizona or was this in California? Yeah, so my, my Christian uh, education was for primary school and junior high in Arizona. And my, I, my family moved to California in high school, so I went to a public high school in California. So, yeah. And um, again, they, they, the sex education in high school was something that we were told to discuss with our parents, mm-hmm. right? And and later, my friends and I, you know, we laughed about it, and, we, and the ways in which we dealt with that absence-only education was just to say, oh, that's so dumb, ha-ha, whatever. I, I already knew about periods, whatever. And we, we didn't talk about the negativeness that the um, program was really focused on, like the dangers of sex or the dangers of STIs. Um, do, do you remember, um, like, the sex education programs being scary at all? Yeah, for sure. In high school, you know, when they talked about sex being inside of a marriage and that that was really the only safe way to do it, they also talked about HIV and AIDS, Right, which was something that my generation was really nervous about. Right, mm-hmm. we were so nervous about how would you get AIDS? Could you get AIDS from sharing a toothbrush or a sharing gum? Seat. Yeah, a toilet seat. Right? right. So we we knew that HIV was sexually transmitted, but we we didn't really know how. Yeah, I mean, we 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 didn't. We didn't see it as something that we would get, but we also were really nervous that basically you could get it from any place, right? It wasn't just sex. And so just blood and HIV were the two scary things. And like I said, teenage girls, we didn't want to talk about negative things. So we didn't talk about the sex education because it was geared towards uh, sort of a negative, scary frame and was just an opportunity for us to laugh and joke about how dumb it was that our teachers would say the word sex. Uh, So thanks for sharing your experience. I'm going to talk about mine a little bit. Um, So sex education um, for me was much different than yours. Um, All of my sex education was in um, California. Boys and girls were mixed in a classroom. Um, I mean, I I do remember, like... um, kids, you know, giggling about sex. Obviously I started my sex education quite young. I remember actually it was around fifth and sixth grade. I remember. Yeah, I think that's right. I had to sign a permission slip for your sex education about, about sixth grade, I think. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, almost all of the kids, uh, 
having such sex education. And there was uh, one young man whose parents didn't sign the slip. And um, he was kind of like the outcast because um, everyone, you know, was in sex education but him. And I think the tables have really turned because if you were in, in my position and, um, you, you know, your mom had to sign a permission slip, um, for oh, sex yeah. education, you know, that, that would be, you know, not even heard of. Oh yeah. My, we didn't talk about sex in our family at all. So even signing the permission slip would have been a drama. Uh, what, so your sex education was, um, mixed gender. Yeah. There were guys and girls in the same class. Yeah. It was, it was mixed gendered. Um, and, um, you know, it was pretty open for the most part. I mean, fifth and sixth graders were kind of, you know, quiet about um, sex education because it's, you know, it's a touchy top topic, especially when you are just, you know, you're going to be a teenager soon. You're going to middle school. Um, I do remember my friends and I talking about sex out of, you know, sex education. You know, sex was a funny topic to talk about on the playground. Um but uh, when it came to the classroom, it was more informative and what can I learn from this um, instead of, you know, let, let's make jokes and stuff like that. I, well, I have, from what I remember, at least from the permission slip that I signed, your sex education wasn't comprehensive, right? So they didn't talk about the mechanics of sex or body parts or anything like that. They just talked about abstinence only, right? Uh, no, actually, um, they, they did not talk about, um, abstinence only i mean they hinted to to marriage um when talking about sex but it was more um about uh, sex protection you know they they talked about um they they talked about ways and to prevent yourself from getting um i think it was more aimed at sexually transmitted diseases it was aimed at um how do i prevent myself from getting pregnant and how do i prevent you know um get, getting an std and you know what measures do you have to take in order um to prevent those things wow so that really is a comprehensive sex education plan that's definitely not abstinence only like i received yeah definitely <laughs> Alrighty, so now I'm going to go to what psychologists have to say about abstinence-only education. Um, and in a research article titled Effectiveness of Abstinence-Only Intervention in Middle School Teens by Eileen Borowski um, and her colleagues, explained that their research found that the programs don't work. Uh, they don't prevent sex, and they often result in young people and students seeking sexual information um, elsewhere. Um, their research found that the program did not significantly reduce the likelihood of uh, sexual um, initiation among the sexually inexperienced, nor did it reduce the likelihood of sexual intercourse among um, the sexual inexperienced. So basically, young people still want and do engage in sex despite fear tactics or um, programs that tell them it's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, additionally, um, Jennifer uh, Wagman, um, in her article, uh, It Must Be True, I read it in Seventeen Magazine, um, U.S. Popular Culture and Sexual Messages in an Era of Abstinence-Only Education, um, explains that teenage girls subsequently began filling the gaps uh, left by abstinence-only education by turning to other sources of um, 
sexual information such as magazines. Um, and, and that's a real issue um, when you don't have, you know, a form of standardized uh, sex education and, you know, young women and men turn to um, alternative sources to find um, their uh, education. So we, why does the myth persist um, when research suggests that the programs uh, don't work? Um, what do you think, Amy, and how did your abstinence-only uh, education work out? <laughs> so so my abstinence-only education didn't work out. I ended up being a teen mom, right? And I, I ended up being a teen mom because I, I didn't have any real knowledge about how to protect myself sexually. And I was one of those teenagers that was really curious about sex. And, you know, that that's the thing. I think one of the reasons why the myth persists is because uh, nobody really wants to talk about young people having sex. It makes everybody nervous. It makes the adults nervous. It makes the teenagers nervous. And even uh, acknowledging um, that teenagers are sexually active is sort of an uncomfortable thing for everybody in the room. And so the abstinence-only programs persist because alternatives are uncomfortable. And they open up a conversation about that empowers young people when uh, the adults or the supervisors or the people in charge want the young people to not engage. And and maybe that everybody kind of understands that if you know something and you have knowledge, then the decision about whether or not you engage and utilize that knowledge is yours, right? So I think probably abstinence-only programs persist, or at least the desire for them persists, because it's such an uncomfortable topic. And uh, it's, it's nice that comprehensive sex education programs are more the norm nowadays, yeah. but the, the desire for teenagers to not have sex or not engage in those activities still exists. And there are plenty of young people who don't have the information that they need because, uh, because of the uncomfortable conversation. All right. Thank you. Um, so thanks for uh, that. Um, I am not a teenage mom. I had a comprehensive sex education. Um, you know, I I think that the myth today, it, you know, is slowly um, getting debunked. However, I think that um, comprehensive sex education um, kind of varies by you know state and, and region and where you live. And you know, um, you know where you're getting your education from. Um, I, I think that the myths still persist because um, sex is a scary topic. Um, like you said, uh, you know, it, it's uncomfortable for both parties, not only for the teenager, mm-hmm. but for the, um, you know, the teacher. Um, so that's really why I believe that um, you know the myth continues to go on. Alrighty, so I think we've come to kind of an end with this, um, and these are our final thoughts. Um, thank you so much, Amy LaRue, also my mother, for being on this. Um, I think my final thoughts are, um, you know, keep having conversations about uh, sex education and normalize, um, y- you know, 
uh, sex um, and just and talk about it. Knowledge is power. Um, I'm going to hand over the mic to my mom. <laughs> any, any For thoughts? my final thoughts? Yeah, so I, I, I think that myths, uh, they disappear over a couple of generations, right? It, it, it takes a few generations to, to change things, and society is always sort of an ebb and flow. And I think sex, sex education is... It, it's it's going to move in a really positive direction because of technology and because information is out there for young people to you know grab a hold of at any moment. And so it's not necessarily that their only information is going to come from their educators, right? It'll it also come from the internet and from their sources, like friends and things. I was going to ask you, you earlier when you were talking about your. Uh, comprehensive sex education that was co-gendered. You talked about a boy whose parents wouldn't sign the permission slip and wouldn't let him participate in the sex education. Did he, um, do you know, did he feel bad about that? Did he get ever get any information about the sex education? You know, what was it like? Yeah, yeah I actually, you know, remember it um, quite well. Um, during lunchtime, we all informed him of, you know, what went on in the classroom, what he didn't hear. Um, and I'm sure he heard an array of things from all the classmates. Um, but you It's really he, interesting because he's, he's going to get the information, right? It's like a permission slip isn't going to prevent a young person from getting the information from their peers that the peers got, right? And it's also the case that, you know, abstinence-only educations are not going to prevent young people from getting the information they need or being sexually active. And so... You know, that that just goes to show you that, you know, information is power. Yep, definitely. Um, so thank you so much for being on this podcast. I love you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me.